Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to be together today. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning, to worship you, to take communion, all the blessings that you've given to us today, to intercede for one another. Thank you for all of these things. And now as we come to your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll just come and minister to all of our hearts. Take this word and make it live this morning in our hearts. Anoint me, your servant. Lord, I think of what Paul said. He didn't speak with wise and eloquent words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And I pray that that might be so today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to uh, John 13, we've been in John 13 for a number of weeks now, uh, looking at the subject of with Jesus in the upper room, and I want to read a few verses from John 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Amen, and may God bless the reading of his word. When I introduced this subject uh, a few weeks ago, I said that although we like to exalt the Lord Jesus in all of our preaching, there are times that we specifically look at at, uh, Christ-centered passages or Christ-centered principles, and this is what we're doing just now, looking at this portion, which is known as the Upper Room Discourses from John 13 through to John 17. I highlight the importance that John devotes to this, that he devotes a quarter, actually, of his gospel to this 24-hour period. And I spoke about how uh, last words are really important. We looked last time at how Luke puts this passage uh, in the context of uh, the disciples having an argument about who was the greatest. And Jesus goes and turns that in its head by, although being the greatest, being willing to serve others. And I highlighted the importance of servanthood is stressed by Jesus, stressed by Jesus, especially in a culture and in a day-to-day when, when volunteerism and service is, has taken a dip. And I think that's a devil's ploy, really, uh, to uh, starve the church of, of uh, those that are willing to serve, which, which is the church has been uh, one of the foremost volunteer organizations down through the centuries. Jesus is our example in servitude, and he's never put a time limit on that. And one of the major quotes that I used on that day was, Jesus isn't saying that if you serve in a lowly place, you'll be given a great place. He is saying that the lowly place is the great place. That's a very, very powerful statement. I wish I had the savvy to write something like that, but I can get the goodness out of it and and share it with each other today. And all of this happened, all of this passage here is against a backdrop of the cross looming large. 
And I want to today focus on a few, verse, a few words there from verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And I want to share a little bit of how I believe that love here uh, is like showing how big a part love plays in these few, few verses and passages. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Love will be mentioned at least 17 times in this few passages in the upper room discourses. So this is likely not to be the only message on love. Love is such a massive part of the New Testament. It's such a massive part of this teaching. And it really pains me as a church leader in today's uh, terms to see uh, people coming from an, an angle that's completely contrary to love. So we get harshness, we get legalism, we get criticism, we get vilification, we get all this stuff taught and out. And, and it's a far cry from what Jesus is teaching us in this passage when he teaches us about the importance of love. You know, love, love is the greatest of all, isn't it? It's the greatest of all. And yet, and yet we get caught up in little squabbles and all kinds of different things and stuff irks us and gets under our skin. When, when this, this is what is important. This is what is supreme uh, in the teaching of the Lord Jesus. Our pastors had an overnight in Aviemore uh, a few weeks ago, and I've referred to this in different uh, ways um, in, in different weeks. And I, I said that, that it was Rob Parsons from, from Care for the Family that was speaking. And I mentioned the fact that uh, at, at I, I have a high regard for Rob Parsons. I think he's a great storyteller. And I said that a lot of conferences I've been at through the years, I've been a minister for 40 years, and, and, and in these uh, times I've been to numerous co conferences, and some of them have done my head good, but that conference did my heart good. And it really had a huge impression on me. And I'm not going to do the following little story, a lot of justice, but uh, I'll give you a little peek through a window of something that it, uh, it was shared by Rob Parsons. He told the story of a stripper who got saved and started to attend church, started to read her Bible. Her life got changed, and she brought her friends along to church. And they came in wearing clothes that Rob Parsons says caused the wives to cover their husbands' eyes while these ladies came into the church. I'm sure you can imagine it. Maybe you better not to imagine it. And, uh, but, uh, and after that, this lady came up to the pastor, and she says, Pastor, you've ruined this church. And she had a full head of steam. And Rob Parsons' session was about bringing the prodigals home. And he said, if you build a culture of love, prodigals will return. And he says... When they come back, he says, pray they meet the father's love rather than the elder brother's attitude. And that, that was a great example of, of how that can be. And, and attitude is so important in the kingdom of God. So many of you will know that there are four Greek words for love. And uh, agape, philio, eros, and storge. And two of them are used often in the New Testament, agape and philio. And the other two are, are, one of them is not used at all, eros, which is a kind of sexual love. And storge is used only a couple of times. And uh, it, it, it joins together with philio in Romans 12 and 10, where it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. 
Philia is more like a tender affection, and there's an interplay in, in John 21 and the, the restoration of Peter, do, do you love it or lovest thou me more than these? And they use two different words, agape and philio. It's quite interesting in the Greek. But uh, this tender affection is seen in, in the, the attitude towards Lazarus in John 11 and verse 3. It can also have the, convey the meaning of liking to do things which are pleasant. And so the Pharisees, the hypocrites, they, Jesus says they love philio, to use that word there, love to, to pray, stand in the, in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. But the word that it's used in this passage here, and, and the word that's, that, that we're wanting to look at today is the word agape, which is a, like a higher form of love. It can only be totally understood when we think of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's the in, in Greek literature, it was the highest and noblest form of love, but it came into its own in the New Testament in the light of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's used to describe God's love towards the human race generally, and especially towards those who believe. It's, it's used to convey what God wants from His people. God wants you and I to be people who, who exude this agape love. That's, that's, that's what he's looking for us. When the Bible tells us to love him, when the Bible tells us to love each other, when the Bible tells us to love our enemies, it's that word it's used. And uh, it expresses this essential nature of God, that God's, God is agape, God is love. And love can only be known from the actions it prompts. It's easy to tell somebody you love them, but it's got to be shown. And this is seen over and over again in the Bible. Somebody wrote this, God's love is seen in the gift of His Son. But obviously this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by the excellency of its objects. It was an exercise of the divine will in a deliberate choice, made without assignable cause, save that which lies in the nature of God Himself. In other words, there was nothing in us that deserved this love. It's because God, loved, God is love that it reaches out. Every day... That, that my wife is at home, she makes my coffee in the morning at 10 o'clock. She takes up my coffee to me and uh, a biscuit. That wonderful. Bible says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. And so God gave me a good woman. And Diane, and one day last week she said, it was, this is your coffee. It was made with love and infused with love. And I said, honey, I tasted the love as I drank it. So, Agape, agape is a self-sacrificial love. And so let me share four things from this passage that, uh, that will help us to understand, hopefully, what has been expressed here. It's first of all, love declared. It's a great truth that He loved us and He loves us, having loved His own. Are you pleased that God loves you? Because I am. I'm pleased He loves you and I'm pleased that He loves me. Masai Kahindi, who was our, our first ever assistant pastor, and you'll see his story in the, in the book here, uh, how God uh, really transformed his life dramatically. And I was talking to Masai on Thursday morning, and I said, Masai, I'm going to mention you on Sunday morning, something that you always taught us. And that was that we all need a revelation of God's love. And that's actually very biblical, because Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that that being rooted and established in love, 
we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And so it was a prayer. Must I express that wish? But it's a prayer. It's a biblical thing. The English Puritan Thomas Manton said, none walk so evenly with God as they that are assured of the love of God. So that consistent walk with Jesus, he's saying, is based on the love of God. So he loves us, having loved his own, his disciples, the, one, the ones that he calls his sheep, the, the ones that he gives eternal life to, who will never perish, the ones that he, he, Jesus himself says, no one will snatch us out of his hand. He takes personal responsibility for us. He loves us. He protects us. He prays for us. He presences himself among us, as we'll see from the rest of the teaching in the upper room. So having loved his own, us, his disciples then, us, right down to this present time, who were in the world, he loves us in the world, and heaven will be even more wonderful. It's love declared. Secondly, it's love demonstrated. He now showed them the full extent of his love, or he showed them his love to the fullest extent. That would involve washing the feet, as we have seen, of his disciples. And washing the disciples' feet, including Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. And we're about to see that love serves. This is what love does, it serves. And, and one of the early church fathers, St. Augustine, says, when he was asked, what does love look like? He says, it has hands to help others, it has feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. It's involved. It's involved. And, and Richard Exley called that blue-collar Christianity. The gospel in shoe leather. Love with its sleeves rolled up. Caring enough to get involved. This is, this is a love that we are called to. This is a love that you're called to. This is a love that I'm called to. And, and John later wrote in 1 John 3, in verses 16 and 18, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Let us not love with words, but with actions and the truth. Because it's cheap. Dan was doing communion at the first service, and he said he's been married to his wife for 25 years. And, and, uh, and, but, but love's got to be demonstrated, uh, and that's what he did. Uh, that's what Jesus did when he did this. And, and in fact, we only know what real biblical love is when we look at Jesus. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He, he said, I give you a new commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. And we're never more like God than when we love, because God is love. A few months ago, when John, John Andrews was, was with us, we did an away day for our leaders. And uh, one of the things that he said in reaching today's generation, he said, and it, it really struck a chord with Diana and myself, and we've often referred to it, he says, we will never, ever look into the eyes of anyone who is not loved by God. That's a profound statement. So the people that get under our skin people that get up our nose, the people that annoy you and annoy me, that then, then we will never ever in our lives, we will never ever look into the eyes of someone who has not been loved by God. And, and so people who hate us, people who say unkind things, are still people that are loved by God. 
And notice where this is located in this context. That agape love, and we're awaiting to see Jesus die on the cross. This is his Passover feast, where he would literally become the Passover lamb that John the Baptist says, who takes away the sin of the world. His love would be demonstrated on the cross. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were at sinners, Christ died for us. And, and he did this knowing who he was. The, the Bible tells us that. I hope you understood that when I was reading it. He's going to the Father. All things are under his power. He's come from God. He is returning to God. And, and uh, the, you know, John seemed to have a greater understanding of, of the inner workings of Jesus. And yet, knowing all these things. You see, if it had been people in the world today, what, what would we be saying is, well, like, I'm God in the flesh. Like, come on, you lazy disciples. Come on, get, get off your backsides. Come on, get... get do, you know what a, do you know what a basin is? Do you know what a soap is? Do you know what a towel is? Come on, come on, get... get don't be lazy, come on. Do you know who I am? Absolutely not like that at all. Jesus did the exact opposite. He went and, and took a towel himself. It's because love serves. And so love is declared. It's a love for his own. Love is demonstrated in the foot washing and in the cross. And then love is described. From this passage, I see Jesus showing us in a very practical way that love has to, got to become the motivation force in all we do. And we see that, of course, in, in, in 1, 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and, and he's talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, and he's talking about problems in the Corinthian church. But sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 comes 1 Corinthians... That, ah, you're on the ball. Uh, so, so thank you for answering that difficult question. But there you go. That's profound, isn't it? So he, here he's got... He says, I want to show you the most excellent way. Against the background of all that's happening, all the petty squabbling, and all the different disputes that's going on in the Corinthian church, and the way that people were dealing with ministry, he says, I want to show you the best way. And it's a way of love. It's been called the ethical base for the whole of the entire epistle. And it's describing what agape, love, looks like. And so, so listen to what he says. Let me read from the message paraphrase in relation to the opening verses of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. But listen to these words. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And so love is going to be the motivation for everything that we do. We can express gifts to the ultimate degree that he, that he speaks about. But if it's not love, if it's not backed by love, if it's not motivated by love, it counts as zero. It's, 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 it doesn't count at all. And, and then he goes on to speak in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, 15 verses that are in continuous tense, which means that they're ongoing. Some of them are attitudes, some of them are involvement in behalf of others. So he says, love is patient, love is kind, 
And then it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Well, that's a beauty, isn't it? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And so you have this wonderful uh, passage that Paul is describing what his love is like. He makes four statements and their attitudes of love that lead to healthy relationships. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. And then when our relationships are not all that they could be, whether they're marriage relationships or, or family relationships or relationships among believers or relationships in the world, and we, and we come to an impasse and we wonder, how are we going to get beyond this at this moment in time? We've this little statement, love never fails. Having problems, then try love. So God's plan is for a community of love with these kind of attributes. It says in 1 John 15, Now remain in my love. 1 John 4 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. John 15, 12, My commandment is this, Love each other as I have loved you. 1 Peter 4 and 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. I mean, these are startling verses. Every one of them worthy of explanation and exposition themselves. Do everything in love. Every single thing. Like, whether we're welcoming people at the door, ferrying people's backwards and forwards eh, to the car park, serving in kids' church, playing an instrument, cleaning the church, whatever we do, we do it. We've got to do it in love. Above all, Colossians 3.14, be loving. Ephesians 4.23, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Love declared, it's for His own. Love demonstrated, and washing the disciples' feet and in the cross. And love described. He's showing us what it is, and it's there in 1 Corinthians 13. And it's about love displayed. This is not just an inspiring story. This is, this is, this is what we're called to be as followers of Jesus. He's showing us that kind of love described in 1 Corinthians. This is, this is it. This is, this is it on display. This is what agape love looks like. This is a love that you and me are supposed to be showing to our fellow believers and to the world outside. This is how we are meant to live. This is what agape love looks like. It's not just to speak about love, but to practice love. To live a life of love, according to Ephesians 5 and 2. To be communities of love. That's part of our values here. What we want for Found Church, to be a community of love. So that when people come in or come back, that it's a community of love. That we serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do everything in love. Every single thing in love. Speak the truth in love. Grow and build each other up in love. It's love that gets its hands dirty. It gets involved because we can't really love from a distance. It's an outworking of obedience. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's a love that increases. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 12. May the the Lord make your love increase and overflow. We can always grow in love. And the more we realize what Jesus did, not just on this occasion, but on the cross, like we've been singing, when I survey the wondrous cross, then the more we love. We're like, we're like the person who, in the parable of the two debtors, who has been forgiven much, so love much. And how do we do it? Well, you can't do it in your strength, and I can't do it in my strength, but we can do it in the strength that God gives us, because the Bible tells us His love, Romans 5 and 5, has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I was sent to the, the elder uh, congregation that, that uh, I've been reading Dr. Helen Rosevear's book called Digging Ditches. I've actually 
found myself in recent couple of years reading some of the old books because because I don't think it ten steps to a better life really cuts it really and from somebody who's twenty one and hasn't lived life like so I I I I don't really think it, it cuts it for me but but people like Dr Helen Roosevelt when. You, when I look at, at, at a woman like Dr. Helen Roosevelt, who was a missionary in the Congo, who was beaten and raped by, by the Congolese soldiers as a missionary, how difficult it would be to get over stuff like that. And, and, and I know that from what she's writing here that she's got through it. And, and I think there's something in that. There's something in people like that. And you cannot do that in, in your own strength. I can't do it in my strength. We can only do it in God's strength. I had a friend... Whose, be, whose, whose wife was raped by, her, by his best friend. And, and he went down into the pub with a shotgun to deal with the situation himself. Thankfully, he was prevented from doing that. He spiraled into a, a downward uh, spiral, and he wasn't really uh, making anything of his life. Two people were going out one day with tracts. They knocked at his door, told him about Jesus, and... Uh, he actually gave his life to Jesus and his life was turned round about. His life had been in so much in despair before that that he'd actually gone out the forest put, and tried to take his own life. And so, so his life was now changed. And God says, what about, what about your friend then? What are you going to do for him? And my friend was a, was, was a, a, a practical guy. He had his own little business. And, and God challenged them to give work to the guy who had raped his wife. And, and so, so he felt really challenged by that. And so, so he gave this guy some work. And the guy gave him a check. And he gave the check away. Because he wasn't going to take his, 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 his money. And, uh, and my friend says that God told him, he says, that's not what I mean. He says, You've got, he had to show God's love to this guy. And so, so he actually gave him another job. And this time he took the money. You see... You cannot do that in your own strength. I couldn't do it in my strength. My friend couldn't do it. And, and so Dr. Helen Roosevelt couldn't do it. And the many other stories that she's got in this book couldn't do these things in their own strength. But the Bible says, God has shed abroad His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He did not give us a, a, a spirit of timidity, but what? Of power, what? Of love and of self-control. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so we've got to keep ourselves and this love. And the more we go on in God, the more we've, we understand the love of God. And we're called to this. And the band can come now. And ultimately, Jesus modeled that love in serving and ultimately dying. So Jesus and Paul are telling us to love. That love must be the motivation. This, this is what I'm trying to get across today. That love must be the motivating factor in all that we do. Not position, not pride, not, not, not anything other than love has got to be the motivating factor of what we've got to do. So Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, despite being who he was. He, despite the background of arguing and all of that, he washed all their feet. Despite the fact that he knew Judas would betray him, he still washed his feet. And despite the fact that he was going to the cross, that he would have had lots of things to teach them. You think about this moment. You think about this last night. You think about the moment and all that Jesus could have taught them at that moment in time. And don't miss this. That in spite of all that, what did he do? He washed the feet of the disciples. And he showed them the full extent of his love. And then he says, do you understand? 
And so the question today is, it's our question. Do we understand? You know, we can go from here and we can go and have our lunch in a couple of minutes and, and, and uh, go and do the other things that we've got to do, whatever we're going to do today. We can do that. And we could say, well, that was a good sermon or it wasn't a good sermon or a fair better or whatever it might be. But I just believe in this moment. And I believe in this moment. If God wants to challenge us afresh today, are we doing what we do in love? I, b- I believe that's what he wants to say. Because this is what Jesus did. This is the Jesus way. This is how he wants us to live. This is how we want found church to be. This is how he wants Michael Rowlett to live. That's how he wants every single one of us to live, to be inspired and motivated by this love. I believe he wants us to have a moment, this moment. And, and, and I want to invite those of you who are watching online and those of you who are here in the premises, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you realize today how much God loves you, how much Jesus loves you, his love for you that would take him to the cross to die for your sins and mine. And you want to respond to that love today and says, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I want to follow you all my life. Well, every head's bowed and I'd ask you to do that just now. When every eye's closed, if you just raise your hand and say, Michael, pray for me. I want Jesus in my life today. Then I will pray for you. If you are watching online, then you click that I want to receive Jesus tab and, and give us a note of your name and we'll be happy to send you a, a Bible and stuff that will help you, love to connect with you if you want to do that. But here in this place today, if you've never received Jesus, then I would like you to raise your hand and I'll pray for you this morning. If you'd like the Jesus to come into your life today, you say, Michael, pray for me. I want Jesus to come into my life today. Will you pray for me now? Well then, Presumably everybody is a believer then. Then God wants us to have this love in our hearts. So I'd invite you to stand with me now. And the band are going to lead us in a song. Sing it through for us and then invite us to sing it through together. And I want us to respond to that love. And just let his love be the love that drives all that we do. Before we send that email, before we send that text, before we react or, 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 or whatever that we will think, is this what Jesus would do? Is this the Jesus way? That we would live our lives totally and completely and wrapped and enveloped in love, loving, serving, counseling, comforting, the Jesus way. Thank you, band. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.